Hello and welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Anthony North. That's Russ Hodges. And your TCU Horn Frogs are headed to the national championship game. Unbelievable. Horn Frogs win the Fiesta Bowl 51-45 in a thriller. Uh, never trailed against the Michigan Wolverines. Russ, how are we doing tonight? I was shaking as the game was going on. I was shaking the entire third quarter. I was so nervous, anxious, excited before the game kicked off. We had a watch party uh, back at my folks' house. We invited some neighbors and some family friends over, and I was I was so excited for the game. And gosh, just we we joked about it in our in our group chat how uh, we were levitating. It was like being on cloud nine. New Year's New Year's Eve basketball wins to start off the day. You got New Year's Eve celebrations. I went down to Chicago and met up with some good buddies of mine from high school, and it was just an awesome day all around. And uh, it's like the gif of, uh, if you ever watch the Tom and Jerry cartoons, when I think Tom gets clonked in the head and he levitates out of his body and goes up the the golden escalator to heaven, that's how I was feeling after that game. I, I gave out a lot of hugs, and man... TCU's playing for a national championship. It's unbelievable. What what a time to be alive, as Drake and Future said. Yeah, I, I'm so excited about it. I'm not going to even comment that you said GIF instead of GIF. But uh, is we, it actually is it actually? GIF? I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's a I'm, it's I'm a common sure, argument. I'm pretty sure it's actually GIF, and I think I got confused on that once too. It's like whatever. Doesn't matter. But yeah, yeah, I. Uh, had just uh just here with my my family and my kids watching the game and and uh keeping up in the game thread and everything typing in there but um grilled some chipotle wings my my specialty had some guacamole some some spinach artichoke dip yeah we had the whole had the whole spread like it was a super bowl here um and yeah it was it was pretty special to to have that moment at at the end of the game two of my children were awake uh funny enough the the oldest and the youngest the middle child fell asleep for the the final minutes of the game so got the uh got the big special hugs with the, uh, with the two that were awake but um really uh just a in a culmination of everything that has pretty much ever happened for Texas Christian University i mean it's uh, it's hard to imagine being in this position, making the playoff, winning a playoff game, playing for a national championship. I mean, it's the, it's the things that we've been dreaming of that, you know, people who have been following this team for, for longer than, than we've been alive, uh, have never thought possible. So, um, just an, an incredible, situation to be in you know we'll we'll spend all night here talking through it but uh and and break it break it down that the recap of the game and i guess just for everyone listening we do expect to have another podcast out later this week as a a preview of the matchup against georgia who took down ohio state in the nightcap on new year's eve um in another thriller so we'll we'll, we'll get all into georgia uh, the next time you hear from us so Today's podcast will be focused solely on recapping the Fiesta Bowl. And I guess the first thought here is what is what does this mean for TCU? What what in in your mind does this stand as the greatest moment for TCU? I I thought not only was this unquestionably the best TCU football game I've ever seen. This might have been the best college football game I've ever seen. And 
I'm a little younger. I'm 28. I've only been watching college football for about, you know, eight, nine, ten years maybe. But um, there have been so many classics throughout the last decade. And just looking at TCU alone, you think about the 2014 Peach Bowl, the dominance against Ole Miss. You think about the miraculous comeback with Bram Kohlhausen in the Alamo Bowl against Oregon. You have the Alamo Bowl two years after that against Stanford, which is a really awesome game. The defense gets a stand in the in the final moments of that game. Um, the infamous or maybe just famous Cheez-It Bowl <laughs> against Cal in, in 2018. But this was just an unbelievable game for so many reasons. I think when you consider the storylines of these two teams, what they've been through this year, the history and prestige that comes with a program like Michigan. And we talked about it on the podcast last week and TCU being the big underdog in the playoff picture this year and folks talking about whether or not TCU deserved to be in the playoff. Are they going to get steamrolled by Michigan? Are they going to get steamrolled by Georgia? Well, TCU came out and as you said, never trailed in the game and there was so much talk about the physicality of Michigan and how they're going to play smash mouth football and questions about whether or not TCU could stick to its three, three, five defense. And TCU was the more physical team in this game. And I think putting everything that happened in this game together, I, I truly believe TCU deserved to win. It was a phenomenal game to watch. It's a game that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life, for sure. And obviously TCU has won some national championships. We got to go all the way back to <laughs> the 1930s. I'm trying to think of who was, I think FDR would might've been president at that time. If I'm remembering my, my U S history correctly, I did take one U S history class in college, got those mandatory credits, but um, I, I think this was the greatest college football game ever. And of course I'm a little biased as a TCU fan, but I, I this was the greatest TCU game that I've ever seen. Yeah, I probably won't go so far to say it's the best college football game ever. I mean, I was I was pretty into that Texas USC game in the Rose Bowl, Vince Young uh, against the the Reggie Bush, Matt Liner at USC. And that that's gonna be that's gonna be hard to top because that was for a national championship and and was won there at the, on the last play. Um, I guess that was New Year's Day two thousand six, um, but. As the biggest, most important game in TCU football history, I think I have to. I have to agree. I have to say yes. I mean, I certainly have a soft spot for the Rose Bowl. I was there in the building for the Rose Bowl, and everything that's happened for TCU athletics uh, across the board, and really for the university across the board, um, happened somewhat because of that Rose Bowl season and winning that Rose Bowl and that propels you forward into the Big 12 and into the position to have those Trevon Boykin seasons, uh, which now puts you here in this position to have this kind of a season. So I think some of that is the landscape of college football has changed, um, but that that Rose Bowl game put TCU in a position to get here, but winning this game against a, a program of the caliber of Michigan uh, 
to to give TCU the opportunity to to stand up against a program the caliber of Georgia um, for a national championship. It's it's quite remarkable and and certainly, yeah. I mean, as far as biggest moments in in TCU history, you know, back in I guess spring summer of 2020 when all of sports were shut down for the pandemic at Frogs of War, we had a greatest moments in TCU history bracket where we, we tried to put all of these different things together across the years. And, you know, we were pulling things like winning the NIT and, you know, various moments throughout history. And, you know, I think you could probably, and maybe this is something we do in the off season, but you could probably take this football season and have an entire bracket that beats out all of the moments that have that happened in all in all of those other brackets um so and and yeah there were there were probably i don't know 10 moments from this game alone that would would surpass things that happened in in that bracket you know i think maybe the singular moment of the tank carter knockdown and the rose bowl uh would have a chance to to advance but uh yeah, this this season has been just it's hard to come up with new words or other words to to talk about what uh what the Horn Frogs have done and what it means. So, let's let's kind of just talk about what happened in the game. Quentin Johnston ends up winning the Fiesta Bowl MVP. Um his six catches, 163 yards including the 70 plus yarder for the touchdown that uh, kind of broke the game open and, and allowed TCU to come away with the win in the end. That's that's probably going to be the moment that stands out most for me across this is the number of times that I've now watched that video of from from the end zone where he's running towards the end zone and you see the crowd notice him break free in the background and 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 it, the crowd goes wild. It just, every time I see it, I, I get the goosebumps and, and, um, kind of cackle. So incredible performance from Quentin Johnston, major, uh, props to Amari DiMarcato, a long time horn frog who's lived through it all. And he, he's given this opportunity on the big stage with Kendra Miller going down. He rushes for 150 yards and a touchdown. He has one massive carry that goes down to the one-yard line. Um, he did have a fumble in this game, but um, to be able to, to step in for Kendra Miller and uh, the Frogs not miss a beat it was huge and, and was a, a key to the game. And obviously, um, the Heisman finalist, Max Duggan, had his, his two touchdowns passing, two touchdowns rushing, um, did throw two interceptions that I think we would can safely say were were not on him, were not at his fault. Um, but a a day where he's not perfect and he still does the things that that helps the frogs win the game. Um, a really great offensive performance for TCU against what had been uh, one of the best defenses in the country in pretty much every metric they were. Uh, you know, top five across the board, they were allowing something like 13.4 um, points per game going into this contest. TCU scored 51 in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, and yes, two of those came on uh, 
defensive touchdowns, pick sixes, but TCU completely handled Michigan uh, in in every phase, but but particularly taking that defense and and really showing them out. Yeah, Quentin Johnston is definitely a deserving candidate for the the offensive MVP award. I think though, Amari Di Mercado. You put the fumble aside when he – it looks like he's going to get stopped for no gain. He is able to turn it into four or five extra yards. A very Kendra Miller-like run on that play. It's unfortunate that it was fumbled. But for for him to come in and not only is he having a career season, but I couldn't have envisioned him having this kind of role on the team this year. I know he's been with the team for a few years, and – you look at the numbers and he's put up rather pedestrian numbers over his first few years at TCU and coming in, I figured obviously it's, it's Kendra Miller's backfield and maybe Di Mercado's a, a bench piece. You have multiple other guys that are going to be competing for work and he's just answered the call on so many occasions and has been excellent, not only to, to spell Kendra Miller throughout the season, but for, for him to come into the game a game of this magnitude against a rushing defense of that caliber that came in giving up roughly 85 yards in total on the ground and run for 150 yards and a touchdown on only 17 carries. TCU doesn't stand a chance of winning that game if Amari DiMercato doesn't come in and play the way that he did. And for TCU to finish with 263 rushing yards, against that defense speaks a lot, I think, about both teams, but especially TCU and its rushing attack that has been so consistent this year, averaging over 200 yards on the ground. And I feel like a lot of the attention gets paid to TCU's passing game just because of Max Duggan's presence and Quinton Johnston's presence. And you have really good athletes across the board with size and speed, but the, the run game has just been so good, and I I almost clamor for the Frogs to just run the ball on some of those uh, short yardage situations where it's kind of like the playbook's open. Maybe you run a short pass here or maybe a play action or something. I'm just like, just run the ball. Why not? Like, you're averaging six yards a carry, seven yards a carry. Um, but Di Mercado was unbelievable in this game, and they may need to lean on him again going into the national championship with uh, Kendra Miller being questionable with his knee injury. So um, outstanding players all around on the offensive side. And I think we also have to give some credit to the offensive line. I mean, the guys, especially on the interior, Steve Avila, Alana Lee, Wes Harris, uh, Brandon, Brandon Coleman and Andrew Coker, those, those five guys together, not only pass protecting, but to create the holes and, be the enforcers that establish that physical presence in the trenches is not something that's going to show up on the stat sheet, but was a huge reason why TCU won this game. Yeah. I think the offensive line is often pointed to as one of the potential weak spots on this TCU offense. And they, they completely stood tall uh, against Michigan. I mean, they gave up one sack that, uh, uh, total in the game and and yeah really pushed him around I mean Duggan had there were times where he was just hanging out back there in the pocket I mean 
offensive line did an incredible job. I think, um, you know, there were times where Duggan just kind of made the play or um, the running back just kind of made the play. But yeah, absolutely. Um, big props to the offensive line. Um, and Kendra Miller in his time, you know, in the first half before his injury, right before halftime, he was averaging over seven yards a carry. Um, Michigan was not about it when it came to trying to tackle Kendra Miller. They had no interest in it. Um, he was punishing runs. He was finishing runs with fierce power. Um, you, he was running through defensive backs. Uh, they, they were not stopping him behind the line ever. He was falling forward on, on every run. Um, and that Michigan defense was just not ready for, um, you know, I think kind of a general theme of this is Michigan was not ready for TCU um, in any phase of the game, not from the coaching staff, not from the players. And you could, you could see it from all of the pregame discussion, all of the, all of the press conferences leading up to game day. Um, Very little respect for, for TCU's players, for TCU's schemes, um, and for what TCU had accomplished through the season. Um, you know, all, all of the discussion about how physical and bringing that Big Ten to the Big 12, well, it, they just got they just got blown off the line uh, across the board. And so um, it's a good learning opportunity to maybe uh, maybe keep your mouth shut. And, and if, if you don't plan on backing up all that, all that yapping. He, they got their photo ops though. They, they got their pictures. Yeah. JJ got his picture after the game, looking at the TC players getting their, uh, getting their dance on, on the field. So, um, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah. They, they can hang, hang those up in the locker room and, uh, look at those over the off season. Maybe that'll motivate them coming back. And nice, year. nice reminder of, of their failures. Yeah. And, and on that note, let's, let's move on to the TCU defense and what it did to, um, to take advantage of JJ McCarthy and to, to shut down the uh, Michigan rush attack and the vaunted uh, Joe Moore award-winning best offensive line in the history of football uh from the Michigan Wolverines. So defensively, the leaders D winters had that pick six, uh, in, in the third quarter, he was also just a monster all over the field, seven tackles, three for a loss. Um, and it was what we, we talked about in the pregame, but I, you know, I don't know that, that any of the, the national thought was, uh, that this, this div- defensive linebackers in the three, three, five are able to get to the running back. Um, and, and, and make those stops behind the line of scrimmage and, and D winners and Jamoy Hodge and Johnny Hodges all did that. And, and winners had a big day. The biggest day, I think Dylan Horton, four sacks, four sacks, like four LeBron sacks, said, not one, not two, <laughs> not three. And, you know, he was, he, he had a career day, um, against what was supposed to be the best offensive line in the country and doing it out of the three, three, five, um, that 
all of all of the Michigan players said had no chance of of doing anything against that offensive line. So um, Dylan Horton, incredible day. I mean, this the sack there near the end of uh, the first half where he strips McCarthy could have been one of the most backbreaking plays. I mean, if if TCU gets if that ball stays in bounds and doesn't roll out um, and somebody gets to it and picks it up even if they don't return it to the house, which probably they would have, um, it sets TCU up with like 40 seconds at about the 30 yard line. So um, a potential massive play, it it still was, was a big one. And then the last standout to, to speak on before we just talk about the defense in general, Bud Clark opens the game, um, opens the scoring of the game with that interception for a touchdown where he just shows that big 12 speed. Um, JJ McCarthy hadn't seen it before, uh, any of the defenses that he had played against, he was expecting that little out route to just be wide open and Bud Clark closed on it in an instant and, and, and snatched that thing and, and took it to the end zone. Um, and, and he had a good day all around. He, he was making stops in the hole against, uh, against Donovan Edwards and, um, just had a great day. What what do you think of the, the TCU defensive performance against Michigan? Yeah, D. Winters made himself a bag on on New Year's Eve, and I think Dylan Horton did too. I think these are two guys that are likely to be done after this year and are absolutely, in my view, going to get drafted. I think both of them were big time. Dylan Horton, to be honest with you, I watched him throughout the whole game, and I didn't even realize he had four sacks until I looked at the box score after the game and I realized, holy crap, he had four sacks. And he was, what what stood out to me, honestly, about the defensive line as a whole, including Dylan Horton, was there were so many plays in this game where it was five on three. You had three guys rushing five, and yet you didn't see guys getting pancaked. You didn't see guys falling down, giving up on plays laying on the turf. The play I think about is that when J.J. McCarthy's rolling out on third and 10, and he's got Terrell Cooper chasing him. He's got Dominic Williams chasing him. Neither of them can get there, but in comes Dylan Horton to push him out of the two-yard line. The next play is the Philly special that doesn't go anywhere. McCarthy, he looks like he's about to block when he's supposed to be running around. I don't know what that what the hell he's doing on that play, but... We'll get to that. If these guys... It was it was like that all game. I mean, even against extra offensive linemen, and when they're not getting there after three seconds, four seconds, five, they're not giving up on the plays, and they were able to get McCarthy out of the pocket, force him to scramble for short yardage, force him to roll out and make throws on the run, which I think worked to their advantage because a lot of those balls wound up incomplete. And you mentioned the the potential strip sack by by Dylan Horton. Jim Harbaugh must have uh, played the fumblets card when and hit the X button on his Madden controller for the fumblets card because how many players on Michigan burped the rock out and the ball just rolled out of bounds? Like how how fortunate they were in those situations. I think there were at least three, maybe four, of those plays where the frogs came in and laid some wood and the ball came out and it just you know fortunately for the Wolverines rolled out of bounds, but the the frogs laid the wood in this game. Abe Kamara had a great hit. The red zone defense was tremendous, but 
uh, D winners, well-deserved defensive MVP and the pick six kind of putting the icing on that. But you could have given it to Dylan Horton. You could have given it to two or three other guys, I think on this defense. Yeah. I mean, shoot, uh, Josh Newton, I think gave up zero receptions. Uh, Travis Hodges, Tomlinson gave up zero receptions. Um, you know, the big plays like we expected were, were across the middle or, uh, to, you know, to the tight ends or deep down the middle, um, hitting at the safeties. And, but when, when those Island corners held up that, that was huge. Um, and yeah, that, that Dylan Horton play, uh, on that opening drive, that hustle to get over there. I mean, McCarthy's running for his life. The blitzes works, gets to him, but he escapes and, and he's running towards the end zone to, to be able to, as the defensive lineman come from the other side of the field and catch up to him and, and knock him out of bounds to prevent that touchdown there. Um, huge play. And it's probably also the kind of thing, like if he had just been sacked or had only picked up like a couple yards, they probably just kick a field goal and move on with their day. Um, but getting it down there to like the two or three yard line, they did try that Philly special, um, which, which was just a kind of an embarrassment. Like, uh, Johnny Hodges uh, was quoted after the game of like, once you're, once they started going into their bag on the first drive, we knew we had them that like, they, they, uh, supposed to be this smash mouth team and they can't line up from the two yard line and smash it on little old TCU. All right. Well, here we go. Um, and I guess just to get into the game itself a little bit, that opening play, I think a lot of people were like, oh, here it is. Here's Michigan running, running all over TCU. Um, <clears throat> but I, I kind of felt the opposite. You know, I think that's that play where Donovan Edwards goes 54 yards on the first play from scrimmage and but he gets chased down from behind from by Bud Clark and it it showed the speed of TCU that okay you've you've got this supposedly superstar running back five star he's he's a monster he's going to be a first round draft pick he's the lightning all of that and and he can't break away from the TCU defense that's one but also <clears throat> we've seen this before um the first play of the Rose Bowl Monty Ball goes like 50 plus yards gets it down there into the red zone against TCU and the TCU defense there held strong, I think gave up a field goal, but it's the same idea of, okay, you, you, you think you've punched us in the mouth, but we can take that punch. And um, so, yeah, you know, I think there was a, a very quick Twitter reaction of like, here it is, here's the big 10. And uh, you know, it, it ended up not coming that way. And, and really I think, Donovan Edwards was very much uh, not about that action. You know, after that play, he ran for 2.9 yards per carry, 65 yards after that. He only had one reception. He's supposed to be this receiving back. Um, that's that's one of his skill sets. He had one reception for eight yards. Um, he was getting hit at the line of scrimmage almost every play, getting knocked backwards almost every play. Um the the TCU defensive front completely ate his lunch and and 
there was there was nothing he could do about it. I mean, yeah, he he accumulated yards uh, by taking a lot of carries, and he had that big first play. But really, he was a he was a non factor in the game. Yeah, I thought what stood out to me most in the first half was TCU's run defense, and also just their success in the red zone. You have uh, Michigan going for it on fourth and two. The Philly special doesn't work out. We have another scenario where. Roman Wilson catches a potential touchdown. The call is overturned to him being down at the one. They don't try to get fancy on that play. They try a fullback dive, and uh, the exchange is bad. Bud Clark winds up. Uh, Bud Clark winds up recovering the ball, and Michigan, with two red zone drives that went inside the five, came away with no points in a game where the Horn Frogs won by six points. That was a huge factor in this game, and. Red zone success not only was not not only was the red zone success uh, for TCU going to be a huge factor going into the the Georgia game as well, but uh, the Frogs finished their drives when they got inside Michigan's twenty. And this is a little thing that excited me, but seeing the Frogs run multiple quarterback sneaks. Yes. Yes. On, on third and one, they're they're motioning in Jaquarius Spivey, the tight end, to get behind Duggan and just push him. I'm like, th- these these coaches learned their lesson. We talked about mm-hmm. it after the Big 12 championship. Can they learn from their mistakes and just do the necessary? You need a yard, get a yard. Every time they ran the quarterback sneak with Max Duggan, they picked up a first down or got the necessary yardage. So TCU was very good in this game in short yardage situations. Michigan was not. TCU was scoring touchdowns on their red zone drives, not settling for field goals, not turning the ball over. Michigan did the exact opposite. And that was a huge reason why the Frogs were able to get off to to a 21-6 halftime lead. The defense came out and was intent on stopping the run. They were able to do that, and Michigan was forced to adjust the game plan a little bit going into the second half in terms of just how they were going to run the ball um, because they weren't getting much between the tackles, like you said. And um, we've seen in games this year, we think about the Texas game where the frog offense was kind of scuffling and Max Duggan didn't have his best effort. The defense stepped up and made play after play after play. And you mentioned Josh Newton and Travis Hodges Tomlinson, everything Michigan got in this game through the air was over the middle, that center back end of, of the TCU defense, Nook Bradford, uh, Bud Clark, Abe Kamara. Those were the guys that Michigan was going after, not the top two corners who have been some of the best corners in the country. So me watching the game, even with Michigan getting that field goal toward the end of the first half to make it 21, six, I was extremely pleased with, the way the frogs played in that first half, even with some of the struggles on offense. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I guess you, you already said it, but I, it bears repeating the Philly special. Did JJ McCarthy know what the play was or what he was supposed to do? I mean, was he supposed to be catching a pass there or was I, I, it, it a purely like a reverse? It, was he supposed to, was the play and it looked like he was kind of caught in no man's land. Like he looked as if he was maybe trying to block. I was almost going to see, you know, was a tight end supposed to maybe leak out from behind uh, 
from behind the TCU defense and maybe McCarthy's not the initial read. Maybe there's a secondary read, someone who's supposed to uh, run in from from the left side of the offensive line. But no, I think he, I I don't know. It just looked like he was lost in, in no man's land and the play went nowhere. It was just a matter of, uh, of catching Colson, I think it was uh, was it Colson? Yeah, it was Loveland. So yeah, you've you've got your true freshman tight end out there, I guess, attempting to either run around the TCU defense or throw a pass to your quarterback. Um, that's that's probably not the very not what you want. Like very Michigan like <laughs> play there for sure. Um, yeah. Let's see what what else do we want to talk about this the first half? I mean. Oh, other big plays. I guess mm. the Kendrick Miller injury is something that we, we should probably bring up because yeah. like you've said before, he was having a very good game. He was attacking the edges really well, had two really nice runs for over 10 yards when he was able to bounce it outside. And the the, pre- the preliminary reports that we're hearing so far suggest that he's going to be questionable for the national championship. He said after the game that he intends on playing um, at the start of the second half, we, we saw him try to run once and couldn't catch a short pass and he just didn't look right. I looked like he was wearing a compression sleeve on his leg. And if it is an MCL issue, which I think he said after the game, it might be a MCL tweak. You hope it's not a serious sprain. If it's a minor sprain, I think he has a, a good chance to play just not at a hundred percent, but if it's a you know, moderate to severe sprain, I, I don't think he's got any chance to suit up. Just from seeing some some guys like Ezekiel Elliott had the MCL issue for the Cowboys uh, earlier this year, and I believe he had to miss a little time. So um, it's a, a shame. You know, Kendra Miller was off to a really good start, but uh, the Frogs were able to continue to run the ball successfully in the second half because of the guys up front. And I think if, if the guys up front can continue to play the way they did in this game, you could put me back there and I might be able to get five yards of carry. For sure. So the other thing we have to talk about a little bit is the call of uh, Wilson being down at at the goal line. Um, I think extremely controversial at the time. It's been controversial in the days since um, as uh, Michigan fans try to explain away how they could have possibly lost to TCU. Um, but, you know, I think there have been some, some photos that have come out since, since the game, you know, where people are breaking this down, like it's, it's a Pruder film, but he, he does hit the ground before the goal line. He has the ball cradled against him, and he kind of slides into the end zone. It's the kind of thing that they called it a touchdown. If it had gone the other way, we would have been upset about it. Um, I understand why it probably should have remained as a touchdown, but the fact remains you have the ball outside the goal line. You're Michigan. Get the ball into the end zone. Um, TCU had a, had a similar call where the Marcato runs it down, He's tackled and is looks to be in the end zone, and he's kind of sliding through the end zone. And um, the the refs call him down at the one, and the next play is a touchdown. Um, on on what play? So what did TC run on that play? 
that that, that was that sneak. That was the pushing sneak. <laughs> so it it's uh you know nobody made you fumble that ball. You know that that you didn't run the fumble play. Um, that you, that's just how you executed, you executed poorly and, and you didn't score on that opportunity. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of, even in the, in, in after the game of, um, any discussion of this game is no disrespect to TCU, no disrespect, but it's like, uh, you know, you're about to say something disrespectful. Um, and I don't know. I, I can't stand for it because referees were not great in this game in both ways. I mean, there was uh roughing the passing passer call that was egregious against Johnny Hodges right. where mm-hmm. he, he pushes, he kind of taps JJ McCarthy who goes flinging, flunging to the ground like he's Cristiano Ronaldo. And, uh, you know, he it gets the call there. That's very clearly not a, a roughing the passer, and there's there's a very controversial call at the end of the game. We'll get to that in a little bit, but I think we had to touch on that moment because I think we'd get yelled at if we didn't. But um, I, you know, one other thing, and we're going long already, but one other thing from from the first half that I was not super excited about um, that I thought was some poor execution from TCU, just to you know to to throw some uh you know take off the purple glasses in somewhat but i think that the the end of the half time management and play management um was a little bit poor i think tcu had an opportunity to either go down and score or at minimum force michigan to burn all their timeouts and burn the clock down to where uh you give them the ball in bad field position um, with no chance to score, and they probably just kneel down and, and let the half run out. Um, instead, TCU has a couple of incompletions and kind of in in not great ways that uh, that that leave Michigan with a, with a timeout and with about 40, 50 seconds left, and they're able to drive it down to kick a admittedly extremely difficult 59 yard field goal. I mean, if, if, if that's what you're surrendering, you're probably just fine with that. Um, but, but Jake Moody being a, an excellent kicker that he is hits that field goal. And, and you just gave away three points just kind of just because. Yeah. There were a couple instances in the first half where I was, a little irked by the play calling from Garrett Riley, mainly because I felt like TCU was just running the ball so well in this game. Not only Kendra Miller, but Duggan was able to make plays with his legs as well. And it seemed like practically every time the Frogs were rallying off consecutive uh, huge rushing plays, they would go back to passing the ball. And it was like they, they run the ball for 10 plus yards run the ball for another seven yards and then incomplete, incomplete, possibly another incomplete. And then you're punting the ball away. That frustrated me a little bit just because I thought the frogs were having so much success uh, running the ball. But um, I, like I said, I couldn't complain a whole lot about the first half and bringing up the the touchdown, no touchdown for Wilson. I was a little confused when I watched the play live because 
I want to say, and I might be wrong about this, but I want to say in the NFL that would be a touchdown because he was never touched by anybody, correct? Is the rule different in college? Yeah, it's you're down by contact as soon as, I mean, you're down when you touch the ground. So as soon as, yeah, his butt or his elbow or his shoulder or anything touches the ground, he's down. Okay. Um, yeah. If he has possession. So I think one of the arguments from Michigan people is Did um, possession? He, he didn't have possession until he was already in the end zone. And they thought maybe part of the review was reviewing that he bobbled it. And maybe it touched the ground, but it didn't. So it was a reception in the end zone. I, it's all fair. It's all very, you know, you're, you're looking at millimeters in milliseconds. Um, it, it's a tough call, but I can see how, you, you could be frustrated by having it overturned yeah. and, and after can, it was called one way on the field. And I can see how that rule is kind of designed to help the, the players in, in a sense that if a receiver is trying to make a tough catch, um, you, you give the offensive player a little more leeway, I guess, a little more room for error in that if he's got possession and he's the knees down, then he's down as opposed to in the NFL where – defense you got to go touch the guy like if he gets a 30 yard grab and gets up and no one touches him he can he can keep running so I, I guess I could understand how um that rule is supposed to help the the players a little bit at the college level Michigan just you know unfortunate but like you said you, you got the ball at the one yard line um I mean fullback dive isn't even really a bad call there just a bad exchange and run the quarterback sneak next time it works. I promise it works. Yeah, I mean, uh, maybe there's maybe there's just not enough trust in JJ uh, McCarthy there. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's it's a play that should you know, yeah, you hand it off to the fullback there, and he just dives it in or plows through somebody, and it's called a touchdown, and you and you move on typically. But that exchange didn't work out, and and TCU took over with a, a touchback there. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I think we're good with the first half. Are we moving on to? Uh, to yeah, let's, the let's second talk half. about this absolutely absurd third quarter. And I mentioned at the start of this podcast how I was shaking. The entire third quarter, I was just the the amount of times I went full surrender cobra <laughs> to the amount of times I was clapping my hands in excitement and yelling at the top of my lungs was just it, it was unbelievable. Forty four combined points in one quarter. It was like I had friends blowing up my phone who were watching the game. And at the end of the third quarter, I'll be honest with you. I thought TCU's defense was cooked. I thought both defenses were cooked, to be honest. But I'm like, we're not going to be able to get a stop. Like, we're going to have to, we're going to have to Oklahoma, Lincoln, Riley, USC, our way to the, to winning this game by just scoring. Like, we can't even be worried about getting stops. That's how uh lost I felt about TCU's defense in the third quarter and thankfully the defense came up with some absolutely tremendous stops toward the end of the game but um the turnovers we, we talked before this game about how these are two teams that haven't turned the ball over very much six combined turnovers in the game but three of those six came in this third quarter you had uh Max Duggan dropping back, throwing a dart to Darius Davis over the middle for what should have been a first down. 
Instead, Darius, unfortunately, might have played a fumble its card before getting to the game as well because it goes right off the bread basket and it's intercepted. And it goes and it results in a Michigan touchdown right after that. You know, those are just kind of those good teams when you're playing at that level, they take advantage of your mistakes in the most punishable way possible. And that's what uh, Michigan did there. And then um, the DiMercato fumble at the very end of the third quarter, the last play of the third quarter, kind of a, a an unfortunate yet fitting end to the quarter, I guess, just because of how topsy-turvy it was that Michigan would be able to regain uh, possession with a, with a chance to bring it within one score going into the fourth quarter. But um, just some of the offensive highlights, cracking off big play after big play after big play. Um, Quentin Johnston runs a beautiful route on a play where Duggan's dropping back. Michigan brought a lot of pressure defensively in the second half, especially off the edges. I think that's one adjustment they made. And Duggan drops back. He avoids the initial pressure and has the pocket presence to step up in the pocket. I think Duggan at times has gotten kind of that happy feet and doesn't set his feet, gets in a throw. Duggan steps up in the pocket on this play and delivers an absolute dime to Quentin Johnston for a huge gain, and that sets up a DiMercato touchdown. Very next Michigan drive, D. Winter snags the pick six, and these two pick sixes, I want to say, were on very similar plays, if not the same exact play. It's just a an out route. The first one, Bud Clark jumps the route near where the ball is supposed to be. Uh, on this play, J.J. McCarthy just doesn't see the underneath defender. I mean, he's looking at the receiver who's covered and D Winters is just sitting there in that, in that window. And it even confused the camera crew. I think and they, they called it on the broadcast actually incomplete. And then you see the camera get all off angle. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? And it's like, Oh, he's, it's intercepted. And then he stiff arms JJ McCarthy into the end zone. And it's, it's 35 to 16 and the place is going, going bananas. But um, Michigan giving Michigan some credit you know, offensively, they found they found ways to run the ball after struggling to do so in the first half. And one of those adjustments was they started calling some more design quarterback runs. And McCarthy finished this game with uh, 10 carries, I think, for 57 yards and a touchdown and was able to pick up a two-point conversion with his legs, too. He's, he's a really good athlete. Like, he was a five-star recruit for a reason. He's a He's not a dual threat quarterback, but he's athletic enough to get out of the pocket or run some design plays. They just, that's not their bread and butter. You know, their bread and butter is supposedly being physical between the trenches, but, you know, give Michigan credit offensively. They made adjustments. They started attacking the edges more with McCarthy and Donovan Edwards. They score a touchdown uh, later in the game on an end around to, to Wilson, but, uh, McCarthy became a factor with his legs in the third quarter, but Di Mercado, like you said, breaks off that enormous run and Duggan gets in the quarterback sneak. You have a flea flicker in there as well with McCarthy throwing a deep ball and then they get a, a short touchdown, 44 points in a quarter. I, I can't recall a game at any level, high school, college, or NFL. I, I cover high school sports. I've watched a lot of college football watch a lot of NFL. Have you seen a quarter like that in your life ever? 
total insanity, a, t- a complete roller coaster, the rate, the, the full range of emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I think that the D winners interception for a touchdown was when I first started getting congratulations type texts from people, <laughs> which I hate. I, I was yep. so mad. Like, do not, I don't want to No, Don't, don't tell me that this game, it's the third quarter. Stop it. Um, and so there was, there was that level of, okay, TCU is going to go win this game. Can you believe it to, Oh, I could see how this plays out. TCU is about to go lose this game. Um, all within that quarter. I, I, I was absolutely convinced of both r- potential realities um, during that quarter. And, and I think it, it was left with, with both on the table, particularly um, kind of closing with the, the fumble. Um, it, it was like, uh Oh, there, there was a lot of opportunity for, uh Oh, um, in there, but uh, you know, <clears throat> like we keep saying, I mean, TCU keeps taking the, the punch and, and doesn't fall over. Um, because you're absolutely right. Michigan was punching. I mean, there, this was a little bit of the quarter where they were what they were supposed to be. They were, McCarthy was, was doing things, um, to, to make stuff happen. And, both teams were putting on a show and it was just, it was just kind of total chaos. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, I don't know that the game was won or lost by either team. I think it was pretty much everybody held serve, but the way that it got there was, uh, <laughs> extremely dramatic and entertaining. Um, and, uh, I, I guess I, I don't need to see anybody's congratulation text until the, until the score said until the numbers are double zeros um on on monday i, I don't want to see a single congratulations text okay <laughs> i'm i'm in a i got a snap group with some buddies from high school uh a guy in that chat is a michigan alum and i got a gg and i got mm-hmm. real frustrated mm-hmm. when i read that yeah because, no way you know our our fantasy league with my buddies from college, shout out to the LD fantasy league guys in the discord. <laughs> They've been wanting a shout out on the podcast. There you go. There you um, go. We have something called uh, concessions in our fantasy league. When you concede that you've lost, it's a 99.9% chance that you're going to come back and win. It's just, it's mm-hmm. physics. It's, I, I can't explain it. It's just how it works. So when, when you want your team to come back, uh, don't continue to be a fan and root. Just say we lost because yeah, you're going to come back and win. Or it's it's the jinx. Yeah. It's oh the, yeah. It's the yes. hard jinx. Um, so I guess we can move on to the fourth quarter because uh, we talked about it. It's the play of the game. The Quentin Johnson touchdown was, was the actual moment where I stopped thinking Michigan is definitely coming back and winning this game to Michigan might come back and could has a chance. Um, the the play is Quentin Johnson kind of on a, a, a short dragging crosser stays behind the line of scrimmage. Max Duggan. I don't, I don't really know if you would call this a screen. I don't know if those rushers were wow. allowed through or if they just were coming after him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but Michigan rushers were definitely coming after Duggan. He drops back a, a, away from the pressure and drops it off to Johnston um 
who who puts on you know the the things he does in the open field are are sometimes it's um you know big demonstrative he does like the uh the Hakeem Olajuwon dream shake where he he makes a uh defensive back go the wrong direction this one he just gives him a little hesitation uh, high knee and then hits the hits the burners and it's a sprint to the end zone that that no one is anywhere near to him um after that making the defensive back look uh look silly uh i mean it looks like he has the angle that the michigan defender has the angle on him and johnston just just blasts by him with with a little move um I, I keep going back to this is this is going to be the play that that for me I, I remember forever. I mean, this is a this is an all time great um, display of athleticism and you know all the talk of you know the the blue chip ratio and stars matter and all of that. Well, I, stars do matter. You still need Quentin Johnston to go out there and be Quentin Johnston. Um, you know, a guy who probably coming out of high school could have played for any, any program in the country. Um, after the, after the coaching turnover could have transferred to, to any team in the country and decided to, to stick with it at TCU and, and put those superstar talents on display in this Fiesta Bowl. And, and that was, it's an all timer. I mean, it's a, you know, that put up a statue of him given the high need to the, uh, to the to that defensive back. I mean, it's I don't know. For I guess maybe maybe I'm being a little too uh romantic about it, but to me this is this is one of those plays that like for the history of TCU will will stand out as an all-timer. Yeah, it was a huge play and it was eerily similar to the touchdown pass in the first half when Duggan drops back, he's under duress, both plays, he's rolling out to his right and the the strength that it takes to make that throw when you're running backwards on target on target Mm -hmm. past the line of scrimmage in the first half Duggan does it finding Tay Barber who's running over the middle he beats the defender to the pylon for touchdown and on this play is the same thing And, and like you said I thought Duggan was close to being dead to rights he gets the ball off somehow Quentin Johnson's there and there's just one defender and as soon as he beats that defender, I'm like, okay, he's not getting all the way to the end zone, right? Like, there's got to be someone. There was nobody, nobody close. There's nobody else on the nobody field. Nobody in the same zip code as those two guys. And as soon as he made that defender miss, it was curtains. So I, and when they scored that touchdown too, I'm like, we're getting another third quarter. Like, we're getting another ridiculous display in in this fourth quarter. Thankfully, it didn't turn out to be that way, but. Um, yeah, just a, just a tremendous play. And then the frogs on the very next defensive possession, finally get a stop. They get a, uh, they start getting some pressure and McCarthy, I believe on that drive after the Quinton Johnson touchdown was called for intentional grounding, uh, for just flinging the rock way out of bounds when there's no one in the vicinity, Michigan winds up having to punt from deep within their own territory and, Darius Davis makes a, makes a little amends for his mistake early in the in the half, gets the punt return, gives TCU great field position, and the Frogs get a field goal out of it uh, to make it a 13-point game at 51-38. But that 
uh, defensive stand was where TCU started to finally, you felt like they were starting to kind of settle down a little bit and, and kind of get back down to earth as they had to try and close out the game. And yeah, I think it, it was great to to get those extra three points. Obviously, it was that was that was huge. Would have loved to get a touchdown there and kind of put the nail in the coffin because Michigan was very much still alive, knowing that um, TCU defense had gotten very few stops in the second half. So uh, Michigan able to to come down and get that next touchdown drive and. Uh, then TCU gets the ball back. What's the time on the clock there? Three minutes and 14 seconds, up six, um, with a chance to go win the Fiesta Bowl in the playoff semifinal. And I guess <clears throat> the thing that'll be kind of talked about here that I'm curious on your thoughts, the timeout usage from uh, from Coach Harbaugh. He really lets the clock go, and as TCU is is running the ball, picking up the first down, um, and really gets it to to an opportunity to where the clock ticks under a minute uh, or right ahead of a minute before he starts taking timeouts, allowing the clock to go under a minute before TCU returns the ball to to Michigan. It ended up, it was probably the right thing for Harbaugh to do, um, mm-hmm. to kind of almost allow TCU to get that, uh, to get that first down. Um, and, and I guess even before that happened was the kick return where Darius Davis, um, you know, they kind of do the fake onside kick and then they line up again for an onside kick that forces TCU to, to burn a timeout and, and they end up kicking it deep and it somehow does not bounce into the end zone. And instead Davis has to pick it up and, and try to make something of it. And, and it, it sets TCU back all the way at the 10 and, and it's really dangerous territory there. And uh, TCU able to pick up that first down. Thanks once again to the, uh, the run from, from Max Duggan to, to pick up the first down. Um, but I don't know. Were you questioning Harbaugh there? Were you like, what is he, what is he doing? Why, why are we not stopping the clock on this one? Yeah. I I think Jim might've thought he had the two minute warning coming perhaps, but (laughs) he had already moved on to the Broncos or the Panthers job. Like he's looking now, (laughs) you know, I think looking back on that series, I thought maybe he would use at least one timeout because my theory was if he burned all three timeouts there and Michigan got the ball with, uh, with maybe two and a half to three minutes left. If they do score a touchdown, then it would be... Give the ball back to Max Duggan. 52-51, yeah. and your defense hasn't stopped squat all game, and the yeah. Frogs just need a field goal at that point then to win, and their kicker has been excellent. So I think it it looked, I guess, bad from an optics standpoint. Like as you're watching the game, you're thinking... Man, a lot of times coming off the clock, but when you use those timeouts three times in a row, not much time comes off when you're doing that. So um, really pleased with how TCU started the drive. Like you said, the third and one, don't be stupid and try to get fancy. Just motion Jorquarius back in and push Max forward. They get the first down there. 
the, the next three plays, though, and I'm curious what your thoughts were on this call. TCU gets it to, a, I think, a third and four after running the ball for, for six yards on their first two plays. Michigan uses two timeouts. I didn't like that that pass call at all. I I would have loved to see, because at that point in the game, you're averaging over six yards a carry. You need four yards for a first down. The things that could go wrong, I understand they ran a high percentage passing play where it's short yardage, but the things that could go go wrong in that situation, especially given how the game went, you could throw an incomplete pass, and Michigan gets one timeout to keep on the offensive side. Duggan could get sacked and even worse, fumble the football. The pass could get tipped and intercepted after you had already thrown two picks on deflected footballs. Like, just just run the ball and do what you've been doing so well all game. I, I didn't like that call at all. Yeah, and I mean, I think if you are going to run a pass play there that you feel is a, a confident, sure pass play, run the play you did against Texas where you run the slant to Johnston to pick up the first down. Um, if I'm remembering this play correctly, it's kind of more of like a, like an out. And I mean, he could have, he, he very nearly went out of bounds short of the, the first down marker to where you, you don't allow the, the final timeout to be taken. Um, yeah, a lot of bad things can happen when you throw the ball there. And I think TCU was maybe a little unlucky that Johnston wasn't able to to kind of escape that tackle and get the first down and kind of lean the ball over. Um, similar in the way to the to what Brock Bowers did in, in that Georgia game where he just athleticism got, got himself a first down. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I'm okay with the pass play there if it goes for a first down. I don't know what... Why does why are you running a route that goes two yards on third and four uh, with the game on the line? I I don't really know what that the plan was there, except that Quinn Johnston is is the best player on the field. And look, if if the corner makes the tackle, he makes the tackle, and if he doesn't, then the game's over. Um, I think that's a fair position to take as well, given what Quinn Johnston had done thus far in that game. The other kind of I thought there was a chance that TCU just lined up and went for it on fourth and one. Yeah. Um, I, I, thought, because, I thought they were going to, man, because of the success they were having on the quarterback sneaks. It would have been a uh, gorilla balls, absolute titanium balls call from Sonny Dykes. <laughs> but he's the same man that ran the scramble drill field goal on the road yeah. against a rival opponent down by two points. So I – and. Oh man. And and it's the thing of like, it it wins the game. If you get it, you win the game and, and your defense still has an opportunity. I mean, at at that point, Michigan had to score a touchdown. So, you know, a lot of things can go bad on a punt too. Um, and, and a lot of things can go weird when you give the ball back to an offense. So I don't know. I kind of thought it, it ended up, it was such bad field position. If that drive had started at the 20, and that play was fourth and one from the 40 or the 50, I think there's a better chance that you go for it there. But from the 30, 
it's just too easy of an opportunity to score a touchdown. Um, even with under a minute to play from the 30. So it, it, it's, it turned out to be the right call and it's probably the right call not to go for it there. But, um, I was not, I mean, I, I did not think that that was just a bluffing, get up to the line, hope they jump off sides kind of situation. I mean, I think, uh, if Michigan had been scrambling a little bit and didn't have the personnel on the field or somehow you get them caught in a, in a substitution and you get the penalty to force a first down to end the game, something like that. Um, it was worth it, but I don't know. I kind of wish we had just gone up there and and pushed it forward. It had been working all game. Uh, let Max take that to the house. But, um, in any case, TCU punts the ball back. Michigan takes over at their own 25 under a minute to play, uh, needing to go 75 yards to advance to the national championship game. And uh, TCU defense was just excellent in this final drive uh, up until maybe the final second. Um, And, you know, TCU got a little bit of a a helping hand when when Colston Loveland jumped off sides there to, to turn third down into a third and 10. Um, and that, that the third down play still seemed to be, even at third and 10, they were throwing a pass to, to Edwards. Um, not sure about that there, but we have to talk about the fourth down. Uh, snap is fumbled. He has trouble with the snap as they like to say about, about Michigan. Um, and, and McCarthy, they very smartly don't just fall on the fumble. Uh, like you're kind of your brain kind of automatically thinks somebody's just going to fall on that ball and, and they pick it up and they pitch it around. And somehow I guess Donovan Edwards ends up with it, I think, and is allowed to throw a forward pass. I don't know. A lot of weird stuff happening there. I thought for sure that was like, Oh, well that's a, no matter what happens here, that's a penalty on a illegal forward pass. But I guess he, Somehow there were enough pitches behind the line that I don't know. Um, in any case, Colston Loveland catches it. He gains nothing and, and he's falling down and he's on the way to the ground and TCU's about to explode in celebration and Keon Stewart explodes into Colston Loveland, uh, with, with a, a helmet to the back of his back upper let's say upper his back. back yeah let's let's the, say the neck up, the upper wrist his uh, neck his back, back yeah <laughs> um ah what are you doing man I, i'm not even sure uh, i don't know it, it it was it was an all-time what are you doing um absolutely no reason to even be participating in that play surprised he was on the field on that play to be honest i'm not i'm not sure if that was like a a super dime or nickel package where he's on the field instead of uh one of the linebackers um to to play pass coverage i suppose that's probably what it is but man you just can't can't do that Mm -hmm. well and you you can't do that because i think the the runner is going to be tackled short of the line of gain, regardless if he comes in or not. So not even close. I mean, he, he was, it, yeah, and not even close. And that's one of those plays as well. And there've been a lot of these plays throughout the season um, 
if that's ruled targeting, if, if the ref throws the flag on that play and it's called on the field, I don't think they overturn that, to be no honest way. with you. I think in nope. that situation, they they stuck with the call on the field because maybe they didn't think the – I mean, I thought the evidence, the video evidence, they, they always say it's got to be indisputable, <laughs> right? I felt – honestly, this was my thought on it. I think there was enough there to where they could have overturned the call. Are they going to overturn that call in that situation in this game and reap the absolute hell that could follow if Michigan were to come back and win? I think they just said, we, we can't let's all go this. home. We can't do this in this spot. and We, we got to stick with, with the call on the field. And ironically, um, when Tulane knocked off USC, there was a play where Tulane threw a game-winning touchdown that initially was called incomplete. The video evidence was indisputable that the ball never hit the ground. They call it a touchdown. They get the call right. Tulane winds up winning the game. A little bit of a different scenario, but... um, yeah, I think in, in that situation, for me, I was I had just finished celebrating with everybody in the room and then saw they were going to review. And I'm just like, they, yeah, they can't. They're, they're not going to they, they can't overturn this. And, and I'm saying that, like, just from a pure fanboy, TCU fanboy <laughs> standpoint, I'm like, they trying they to convince yourself. They, they Surely can't they this can't do us. Yeah, they can't do this to us in this spot. But thankfully, they didn't. And. TC was able to go out there and kneel it out, and and that was it. That was curtains from that point. Oh man, I was I was dying when they and they let it linger too because they, I mean, the TCU offense was already all the way out on the field. They had the ball set. It was like we're about to snap the ball for victory formation before they come in and like we're going to the review. And it was just like, please just get up and snap the ball. Just just get up and snap the ball and end this game. Jump off sides. Kick the ball out of it. Just do something. Make sure they can't review this. Oh, man, I can't I'm, – I'm pretty surprised they didn't overturn it just because that's the kind of thing that they call targeting all the time. Um, even if he did hit him in the back and they're all falling to the ground together and it's all a bang-bang play, that's – that's very often a targeting call. Um, so a little bit of a controversy, but in any case, I keep saying that. It, anyway, TCU wins the game uh, and kneels it out um, to, to close it out, and the purple confetti comes raining down on uh, State Farm Stadium, and, and TCU heads into... National championship game against Georgia, who looked frankly pretty beatable, and, and we'll get into that later this week. Um, I don't know how repeatably beatable they are, um, but Ohio State very much had them on the ropes and were not able to to put them away in the end. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, an absolute banger of a first game followed up by an absolute banger of a second game. Um, Best day of semifinals, certainly, absolutely. of all time. C.J. Stroud and Stetson Bennett were both nails in this game. Stetson Bennett throws for 398 yards, three touchdowns, adds a touchdown on the ground. 
maybe silencing a few of the haters who didn't think he belonged in the Heisman race. Um, also had a dominant performance against LSU, but Stetson Bennett was phenomenal in this game. And C.J. Stroud, four touchdowns, no picks, over 300 yards passing. Georgia had no answers for Marvin Harrison Jr. or Emeka Ibuka. I think their only answer for Harrison was to uh, injure him and knock him out. Also, somehow game. not called targeting. Yeah, Correct. I don't, I don't know there. These these two offenses. I mean, I like you said. I think Georgia is more vulnerable now, perhaps, than they have been throughout the season. And obviously, this is a high stakes game, Ohio State and. Georgia had a close call against Missouri way back earlier in the season too, but another team that has a, you know, elite run defense, when you look at the numbers, the number one run defense in college football under 80 yards per game, but they gave up over 500 passing yards to LSU and Jaden Daniels, and they gave up well over 300 with four touchdowns to CJ Stroud. So I think TCU absolutely has a great chance to to win this game if they can connect on the kind of chunk plays we've seen them hit in the passing game throughout the season um vegas doesn't seem to think so the the line double digits to to start out i thought that was uh very rude it's a big line very very yeah. rude of vegas to do that i think maybe that's because of kendra miller's injury status maybe if he were healthy it'd be a little bit closer but um I I think it's going to be a phenomenal game. I think TCU is going to make it a lot more competitive than, than people think, and it's it's going to be a similar narrative in some ways. Um, when you talk about Georgia's defense compared to Michigan's defense, both, both unbelievably good against the run this year. Georgia has done it against better opponents. Georgia has beaten much better opponents this year than, than Michigan has, so... Um, this is kind of like the you're playing Super Smash Brothers and you beat the second to last level. Now you unlock the master hand. What are you going to do to to take down the master hand? We'll have to to wait and see for for sure. I'm 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 so excited for for this game. I hate that they play these games on Mondays. To to be honest uh, yeah. with you, like c- compete with the NFL. Like put the game on a weekend, please. Like I'm I'm burning a vacation day because I have to watch this game on a Monday. Like come on, college football. Do the yeah. right thing here. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's going to be exciting. It's uh, and yeah, again, nobody's given TCU any chance. I think um, the <clears throat> already the national perspective is a little bit of well, TCU could maybe cover this one. Uh, where this past game, TCU was expected to just get get blown out of the water. So. Um, we will we'll get into all things uh that next time out um just to touch on basketball really quick if you were watching the youtube feed you might see at some point i kind of jump out of the screen and i i, I don't know if i let out a yelp onto the microphone or not but I, uh i know what anthony knows <laughs> but uh i as as russ was talking i was taking some peeks at the TCU Baylor men's basketball game that's going on uh, as we were recording tonight. And um, TCU, Mike Miles hits Chuck O'Bannon in the corner. He drains a three. 
uh, under five seconds left to give TCU the lead um, after several timeouts on both sides. Uh, finally, Baylor has an opportunity to go win the game. They get the ball in, drive to the hoop, and uh, Xavier Cork, I believe it was, knocked it away for uh, for a block and, and time runs out. And TCU wins on the road at number 19, Baylor. A huge win uh, for TCU to move to 2-0 and in the conference. Um, any win in this conference is, is absolutely massive, but um, to get those two wins over uh, kind of the two rivals, a road win in Waco um, is is massive for TCU. Probably haven't done that in, in quite some time. Um, I saw briefly on the broadcast, it showed that it was TCU's first win on the road against a ranked opponent in program history. Um, incredible. So uh, <laughs> I'm not fact-checking that, but I, that's what I recall yeah, that, seeing. That, that is might deserve, uh, uh, get, get the Associated <clears throat> Press on that one. That, that yeah. seems, I, I, would, I would believe it, but I feel like we've been in the Big 12 long enough and we've had a few good enough years with, with Jamie Dixon that there, there has to be at least one, but we'll, we'll yeah, find out. It, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, big win for, for TCU basketball coming off, uh, the, the weekend game against Texas tech where they, they opened up the festivities for, for the Horn Frogs on new year's Eve with, with the big win in Schallmeyer, um, <clears throat> big come from behind win where, trailing I think 13 at some points during the first half down 11 at halftime uh shooting terribly in the first half <clears throat> sorry I'm losing my voice here I'm too excited about uh all of this TCU sports it's just all too much for me um but similar here tonight I mean they they were losing pretty bad to Baylor at some points during this game and just uh keep clawing back and really it's once those shots start falling uh TCU is able to, to climb back into these games. So, um, you know, we, we have been covering football rightly with, with a lot of, um, vigor and, and fury. And, you know, we're TCU basketball team is also having an incredible season and, and we will soon turn even more focus towards them and their March towards March and, uh, hopefully some, some more success in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, a huge win for TCU over Texas Tech, and um, free throw shooting was pretty big in this game. The Frogs went 15 for 20 and made some key free throws down the stretch. Tech was 9 for 18 in this game, so they really struggled from the line. And then the Frogs defensively just really got into into the Red Raiders. They forced 22 turnovers in this game. They outscored Texas Tech in fast break points and points off turnovers. Mike Miles was the Big 12 player of the year in this game. He had 23 points on 7-12 shooting. Also passed 1,000 points for his career at TCU. So congratulations to Mike Miles on getting over the, the millennium mark there. Emmanuel Miller and Damian Baugh just continuing to be super solid for TCU. Emmanuel Miller in this game had 16 points, 6 rebounds, 3 steals, shot 7-14. of 14. Damian Baugh, 14 points, 5 assists, and 4 steals on 6 of 13 shooting. So uh, TCU's key guys are playing like the key guys right now. I think the biggest key for the Frogs will be, uh, we've talked about it before, even in the non-conference schedule, is going to be getting consistent bench production. 
Uh, Micah Peavy has struggled a little bit over these first two conference games. Uh, Xavier Cork is mainly in for defense and rebounding. You're not going to get a lot of scoring out of him. And then Jacoby Coles, who's had some some big non-conference games this year, off to a bit of a sluggish start here in the conference slate. So I'm um, going to have to start getting a little a little bit more from the bench in these conference games. But um, big start for, for TCU in, in Big 12 play, like you said. The, the most competitive basketball conference in the country – just how it's, in my opinion, the most competitive football conference in the in the country. And two two second half rallies, and uh, maybe they they got a little Sunny Dykes uh, statue or something in, in that in that locker room because they're, they're somebody turned on the hypnotel. They're they're getting these second half comebacks, so it, really good stuff to see for TCU. Yeah, just looking at the stat sheet here quickly on this Baylor game that that just went final while we were recording, Mike Miles putting the team on his back, 33 points against Baylor in Waco. Just a magnificent performance. Um, Damian Ball, <clears throat> 15 points, seven assists. I'm, I've, I've completely lost my voice. Uh, Emmanuel Miller, 13 points, eight rebounds. And it was really the starting lineup that did all of the work here. Uh, the, the reserves off the bench, only six points off the bench. Um, so not much scoring coming from those guys, but like I said, Xavier Cork gets that block at the end of the game to seal things, um, a huge, huge play and, and TCU moves to two and zero in conference, um, Iowa state coming up on Saturday, I believe. So, um, and, and that I think is back home here in Shawmire and yes, Saturday afternoon. So, uh, don't bother yourself watching what whatever NFL game is is the afternoon Saturday NFL game for the final week of the season. Come out to Shawmeyer and go cheer on. That's a that'll be definitely a top twenty five matchup. Iowa State uh, won a, a weird one against Oklahoma tonight, also. So um, two two and O teams in Big Twelve Conference looking for uh, the chance to to move to three and O and and a top the conference standings here early in, in conference play. All right. I think that that does it for us tonight. Uh, thank you all again for, for listening here, for sticking with us, for following us on Twitter at frogs of war, uh, follow all the uh, great preview content that we're, we're pumping out for the national championship game. And, um, all of our men's basketball content, we're going to continue to pump out as well. And, and man, just really, uh, looking forward to this national championship. Just what an incredible time to be a Horn Frog fan. Um, and welcome all the new fans, all the new listeners, all of you that, uh, maybe hadn't heard much of TCU before this, this incredible run. So excited to welcome you all to your, your newfound Hypnotoad heroes. Um, and, and you'll be hearing from us again later in the week. Hopefully I get my voice back and uh, I can take some sips of water (laughs) before we talk uh, our preview of the Georgia Bulldogs. Until then, go Frogs. Go Frogs. Hope everyone had a a great New Year's Eve, New Year's Day celebration. And uh, let's bring it home on Monday. Super excited. Let's go.